A long time ago, most everyone was unhappy. Longer ago than last year, even. See, everyone was cold, and the only fire to be had in the entire world was kept on a mountaintop where evil giant wood spirits, called Skookum, guarded it. There were three of them, and they guarded the fire carefully because men might steal it and become like the Skookum in strength. Coyote wasn't happy about this. He wanted the people of the world to be warm and happy, and they couldn't be either of those things as long as Skookum guarded fire. So one day, Coyote crept all the way up to the mountaintop and watched the Skookum guarding the fire. The Skookum thought he was just a regular old coyote who skulked around the edges of villages, living off the leftovers of men, never quite brave enough to take things for himself. They didn't know this coyote was different. Stronger, braver, and especially trickier. Coyote watched all day and all night, and he learned how the Skookum guarded the fire. Always, one Skookum sat by the fire watching it, and when it went into the teepee, another would come out and watch the fire instead. But Coyote watched and saw that when the dawn wind came up and blew cold up the mountainside, the Skookum watching the fire would shiver, run into the teepee and shout at her sister, Sister! Sister! Get up! It's cold out and it's your turn to watch the fire! But the sister was sleepy and slow to come out. Coyote saw how his chance could happen. Coyote went down the mountainside and called a council of all the animals. He called wolf and bear and elk and squirrel and frog and all the other animals that lived in the forests and skies. He knew if he stole fire from the skookum, they would chase him. So he needed the help of the other animals. When they had all gathered, Coyote sat and explained his plan, and all the animals agreed to help him if they could. So, once more, Coyote skulked up the mountain and waited in the bushes. And once more, the Skookum thought he was only a common coyote of no bravery at all as they watched him over the top of the fire, shivering in the bushes. Soon, they forgot about him entirely. And yet, Coyote waited. With the dawn, the cold wind blew up the mountainside again. The Skookum guarding the fire shivered and went into the teepee, calling out, Sister! Sister! Get up! It's cold out, and it is your turn to watch the fire. But the sister was sleepy and slow to come out. Coyote darted from under the bushes where he had spent the night, grabbed the fire, and jumped down the mountainside. The Skookum chased him, but could only catch the tip of Coyote's tail in her hand as he zigged and zagged down the mountain toward the tree line. She wouldn't let go, and Coyote's tail is still white to this day where she touched him. But Coyote made it to Wolf. Wolf seized the fire and leaped down the mountain heading for the trees. Skookum gave up on Coyote and chased Wolf instead. Just as she reached out to catch him, Wolf found the trees and passed the fire to Squirrel. Squirrel seized the fire and leaped from branch to branch through the forest and down the mountain. Skookum left Wolf and chased Squirrel. The fire was so hot that it burnt the back of Squirrel's neck, and so even today, you can see the black market left there. It was so hot, it curled up Squirrel's tail, too, which is why it still hangs over the back of Squirrel's children. Skookum chased Squirrel through the forest until Squirrel saw Frog. Frog took the hot coals in his big mouth and hopped away. Skookum left Squirrel and chased Frog, reaching out her hand to grab his tail. But Frog jumped away and left Skookum holding his tail and nothing else. Which is why frogs have no tails, you see. Skookum was surprised but caught up to Frog again. Poor, 
tailless frog was worried, and so, to save the fire, frog spit it out on wood, and wood swallowed it. Seeing this, Skookum gave up. Coyote had defeated her. Skookum didn't know how to get the fire out of wood, and never could know. But Coyote knew. While Skookum went back up the mountain without fire, Coyote showed the people how to get fire out of wood by rubbing two dry sticks together. Which is how the people do it today. And still, Coyote laughs in the night at how much fun it all was. This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Like Raven, Coyote has a strong tradition as a trickster character in North American native myth and legend. In fact, the two often occupy the same role in different narrative traditions. If you can't find Raven, look for Coyote. They both do very similar jobs. The difference really is where you find them. While Raven holds sway over the Pacific Northwest region of the Americas, Coyote can be found among the traditions of California, the Great Basin, and the Southwest regions of North America. Naturally, where these areas transition into the Pacific Northwest, there is a blending between the two traditions, with both Raven and Coyote showing up occasionally in the same story, often pitted against each other. At first, Coyote, like Raven, was a deity who could change his form at will to look like most anything. Naturally, though, he favored a human appearance and was often seen as a man with a distinctive telltale mustache who had a taste for the ladies. But he could, just as often, depending on whose story you were listening to, be found as something called a skinwalker. You have to be careful when talking about skinwalkers. First and foremost, this is because you tread on long-held traditional beliefs about the nature of the creatures and their purpose. The Navajo people in particular hold skinwalkers to be very important, and talking about them with outsiders is to be avoided. Not for any particularly sinister reason, mind you, but because, as part of their belief system, the details are to some degree sacred. The other reason you have to be careful is that it is all too easy to get them confused with various weird creatures, particularly werewolves, when they are distinct and separate entities. See, werewolves are cursed, one way or another, to change, often involuntarily, into vicious and powerful wolf-like humanoids. You can hear all about them in our episode on Werewolf. And for some nitpickery on nomenclature, check out something about tigers to find out why not all people who change into animals are called lycanthropes. In any case, skinwalkers are not werewolves. They weren't cursed to be the form they are, and it wasn't involuntary. Skinwalkers were powerful witches who deliberately chose to cast spells that would transform them into half-man, half-beast creatures of their choosing. Coyote wasn't a skinwalker because he was forced to be, he was a skinwalker because he chose to be. He was often seen as a powerful coyote-like humanoid as he went about his business causing mischief. On the one hand, Coyote had a reputation among some people of being a beneficial trickster who operated with an eye toward generally being helpful to humanity. Retrieve fire from skookums, for instance, so we could all be nice and warm in the cold night. On the other hand, again, according to some people who sat around the fire sharing Coyote stories, he was a malevolent and evil spirit who wanted nothing more than to wreak havoc among everyone and everything, and was, on some level, responsible for a great number of the bad things that happen to everyone on an almost daily basis. In one story, Coyote might set free the salmon, which again were jealously guarded by Skookum, 
while in another, Coyote travels to the underworld, but thanks to his foolishness and pride, forever loses the ability for people to come back from death. And let's not forget that according to a variety of traditions, Coyote not only invented sex, but then also uses it, according to other traditions, to commit what amounts to rape wherever he goes. It's this duality of nature that makes Coyote so fascinating. He's not just a trickster, but also a transformer. Unless you think that means he can change into an armored reconnaissance vehicle, it actually took the Canadian military to do that, not some Japanese toy factory. No, instead, Transformer characters change the world around them, altering it forever for better or for worse. Coyote is both good and evil, and as such, the changes he brings to the world can fall into either category as well. At the same time, Coyote is both dumb and clever, often allowing his foolishness to get him into trouble from which he rescues himself by virtue of his wits. He's often seen as having the same foibles as man, but turned up to maximum being unable to exercise sufficient self-control to avoid running afoul of his basic nature. By the same token, it is often only by relying on his basic nature that he manages to rescue himself. But how closely does any of this hue to the actual creature upon which these legends are, at least in part, based? Are real coyotes given over to these extravagances of behavior, and if so, how have they managed to survive? During the Lewis and Clark expedition of 1804 to 1806, the company had many occasions to observe the coyote in its natural habitat. Meriwether Lewis was among the first to attempt to give the animal anything like a formal description. Mostly, prior to Lewis, coyotes were described only in terms that Easterners could understand, since the animal had no range outside the West at the time, which meant they were often compared to wolves. This led to the coyote being called variously prairie wolf, brush wolf, or even, because some Europeans knew of them and they filled a similar ecological niche, American jackals. Lewis wrote in his journals, The small wolf or burrowing dog of the prairies are the inhabitants almost invariably of the open plains. They usually associate in bands of ten or twelve, sometimes more, and burrow near some pass or place much frequented by game. Not being able alone to take deer or goat, they are rarely ever found alone, but hunt in bands. They frequently watch and seize their prey near their burrows. In these burrows they raise their young, and to them they also resort when pursued. When a person approaches them they frequently bark, their note being precisely that of a small dog. They are of an intermediate size between that of a fox and dog, very active, fleet, and delicately formed, the ears large, erect, and pointed, the head long and pointed, more like that of a fox, tail long, the hair and fur also resembles the fox, though is much coarser and inferior. They are of a pale reddish-brown color, the eye of a deep-sea green color, small and piercing. Their claws are rather longer than those of the ordinary wolf, or that common to the Atlantic states, none of which are to be found in this quarter, nor, I believe, above the River Platte. The name Coyote itself comes from Nahuatl via the Spanish, and here we have to stop and address an issue that has no doubt caused at least some of you to open up a fresh email to the show with your complaint. How do you pronounce the word spelled C-O-Y-O-T-E? Some people say coyote, and some people say coyote. So which is it? Well, if you're the sort of person to get out your dictionary the moment a pronunciation disagreement starts, let me save you some time by telling you... 
it doesn't matter. Either one is correct, and differences are the product of upbringing and the place where you first learned the word. Either pronunciation is correct in American English, which is mostly the kind we try to use around here. But, if you are a so-called purist and insist that words should be pronounced as they were in their original language, to you we say, good luck. You've got several hundred years of language development in general to fight against, and this is an odd hill to die on. But in Nwadl, it sounds like... Coyote. And there's at least one sound in there we just can't do. Oh, and Nwadl is a perfectly acceptable English pronunciation for the name of the language itself, in case you were wondering. The Latin name is, of course, no help at all. Canis Yatrans means, helpfully, barking dog. Which, up to this point, we thought was something all dogs did, and therefore not really a useful point of distinction for the coyote, but there you go. When you make as much and as distinctive a set of noises as your typical coyote makes, we can sort of see where people are coming from. Coyotes are vocal and communicative animals, and their yips, yelps, barks, growls, huffs, and howls can often be heard echoing through the night as they interact with each other or go on the hunt. In fact, with 11 different distinct sounds in its repertoire, the coyote is the most vocal of all wild North American animals, beating out even the wolf. Now, while it can't be said that coyotes are any more or less clever than any other canine, it is fair to say that they are crafty, opportunistic, and above all else, adaptable. And this may go some way towards explaining their role in folklore and legend, as well as their survival abilities. See, the range of the coyote was, initially, just the western part of the Americas and some portions of Mexico. But as Mesoamerican people moved up and down the continent, the coyote followed, probably because they knew a good deal when they saw one. By learning to associate with humans in at least a limited capacity, they could take advantage of the resources humans left behind, which was basically, to the coyote, free food for very little effort on their part. So as humans spread, so too did the coyote, usually just a step or two behind. Naturally, this means that the coyote's current range is now pretty much everywhere that humans are. They happily live side by side with us in most major cities. The only place in the United States you can't find one? Hawaii. And that's probably only because they don't know what direction to swim, which they are known to do quite well. In 2013, the first wild coyote was sighted on the wrong side of the Panama Canal, extending their range into South America. But perhaps the most well-known habitat of the coyote is the painted deserts of the American Southwest, where, if you pay very careful attention, you can see a coyote chasing a roadrunner all over the place. Well, one particular coyote, Wild E. Coyote. In 1948, animator Chuck Jones was looking for a way to parody the popular Tom and Jerry cartoons where the cat was forever chasing the mouse. Jones and writer Michael Maltese came up with the coyote and roadrunner idea based on Mark Twain's description of a coyote in Roughing It, which tells the story of Twain's early years in and around California, Nevada, and Hawaii as a young man. In it, Twain said, The coyote is a long, slim, sick, and sorry-looking skeleton with a gray wolfskin stretched over it, a 
intolerably bushy tail that forever sags down with a despairing expression of forsakenness and misery, a furtive and evil eye, and a long, sharp face with slightly lifted lip and exposed teeth. The coyote is a living, breathing allegory of want. He is always hungry. He is always poor, out of luck, and friendless. The meanest creatures despise him, and even the fleas would desert him for a velocipede. He is so spiritless and cowardly that even while his exposed teeth are pretending a threat, the rest of his face is apologizing for it. Twain continues on in a less complimentary fashion, but it is on this description that while E. Coyote is largely built. And for the curious, the E stands for Ethelbert, according to an issue of the Looney Tunes comic book. He only narrowly missed being named Don Coyote, though, so let's not be too upset about Ethelbert. Wily Coyote's antics, though, are remarkably illustrative of the sort of role Coyote usually plays in Native American myths and legends. Jones and Maltese didn't stray too far afield, with Wily's failed ideas and contraptions that always seemed to backfire on him and cause more problems for himself than the Roadrunner. The only thing the cartoons lacked was the clever thinking that gets Coyote back out of trouble as well. Take the Apache legend called Coyote Fights a Lump of Pitch, for example. Long ago, when the tribe and animals and birds lived together near white people, Coyote was always in trouble. He had no home of his own and was forever staying at one camp or another before wearing out his welcome and moving on to the next. When he stayed at Bear's camp, Coyote would sneak over to the white man's fields and steal the wheat right off the stalks. When the farmer found out what Coyote had done, he followed Coyote far enough to find where he entered the farmer's field and then called a council of everyone in the village to see what could be done. Together, they built a man made of pitch and placed it right in Coyote's path. The next night, thinking it was a real person standing in his path, Coyote came up to it and said, Gray Eyes, get to one side and let me by. I am hungry and just want a little wheat. Move over, I tell you. Of course, the pitch man didn't move, and this made Coyote angry. If you don't move, Coyote said, I'll punch you in the face, and everyone on earth knows if I hit you with my fist, you die. When the pitch man still didn't move, Coyote punched the pitch man, but instead of killing him, Coyote's fist stuck in the pitch all the way up to his elbow. If you don't let go of my hand, Coyote yelled, I shall punch you with my other hand, and everyone knows that will knock you senseless. Again, the pitch man didn't respond, and when Coyote hit him, his other hand sunk in all the way to the elbow too. In this way, Coyote threatened and threatened, and by morning, he was stuck fast by both hands, both feet, his mouth, and finally his tail. When the farmer found him in the morning, it was a silent coyote who had a chain put around his neck before being dragged to the farmer's home. The farmer called everyone together and announced he had caught the one who was stealing from him, before washing the pitch off to reveal coyote. For a while, they discussed what to do with the thief, finally deciding to boil a pot of water to scald him with and teach him a lesson. While they waited for the water to boil, they tied Coyote up at the side of the house to wait his fate. In a little while, Coyote saw Gray Fox wandering through the farmer's yard looking for something to eat. Coyote called out, My cousin, 
How good it is to see you. The farmer is cooking up a big meal for me in that pot over there. There's potatoes and coffee, bread and meat, and all kinds of delicious food for me. There's more than enough to go around. Won't you share them with me? Gray Fox was very hungry and thought it was a good idea to share Coyote's meal, so he agreed. Very good, cousin, but first I must make myself ready for the meal. Won't you please put this chain around your neck while I go and relieve myself behind that bush over there? It would be rude to have to leave in the middle of the meal to do that. And again, Gray Fox agreed it would be rude to leave in the middle of the meal, so he took the chain off Coyote's neck and put it on his own. Of course, as soon as Coyote was out of sight behind the bush, he took off and ran away, leaving Gray Fox behind. When the farmer and his friends came back, the water had boiled. They found Gray Fox still waiting with a chain around his neck. How strange, the farmer said. He seems so little. Perhaps he shrunk, said another, and thinking no more of it, they lifted Gray Fox into the pot and boiled his hair off, leaving Gray Fox bald and bright red. After they finished, they took the chain off and tossed Gray Fox into the bushes, where he lay exhausted and motionless until evening. When night came, it grew cold, and Gray Fox awoke and was very, very angry with Coyote. Wanting revenge, he went looking for Coyote. But to find out what happened after that, you have to go listen to our episode on cheese. And replace the word fox with coyote and wolf with fox. Have fun. This has been GM Word of the Week, and we thank you for listening to the show. We hope you had as much fun listening to it as we had writing it at 3 a.m. on a dark, cold morning with a nervous dog innocently wondering what was going on and why we were up so early not paying our full attention to it. Go figure. We'd especially like to thank our patrons on Patreon, without whom semi-conscious writing sessions in the wee hours just would not be possible because we'd probably have one of those real job things instead. Thankfully, between dog padding, tea breaks, and the support of our patrons, we managed to make it through. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, head over to gmwordoftheweek.com, step inside, and click the yellow banner at the top. There's lots of options, and we're confident you'll find one that suits your needs. We're happy to have you along. This week's episode was researched, written, and produced by Brian Casey, who will take advantage of serendipity whenever and however it shows up. Music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. When the coyote falls, he gets up and brushes himself off. It's preservation of dignity. He's humiliated, and it worries him when he ends up looking like an accordion. Coyote isn't much, but it's better than being an accordion.